I V M. Luke Cotino is a man with a big idea. The big idea is very simple. It's just about how can you change your lifestyle. His lifestyle hacks are helping millions of people across the world, and he's making them healthier. But his biggest crusade is against one thing, which is cancer. He's helping millions of people recover from cancer. But what's most exciting is how he started. He started off as a DJ on the beaches of Goa, and today he's a high-profile jet-setting doctor who is curing the world. I'm lucky to have Luke as my collaborator in Goki. But what's also exciting is his ideas and future plans. Let's hear them today. and see what luke is up to i want to start this episode with a quote so many people spend their health gaining wealth and then they have to spend their wealth to regain their health and today on my show i have one such person where people when they have lost their health are willing to spend their millions and billions uh, to help regain it so whether there are bollywood celebrities uh, businessmen billionaires kings uh, you know royalty politicians beat anybody in the world today the one person they have on their speed dial is somebody who i have with me in the show it's none other than Luke Cutino uh my partner in crime at Goki but more importantly a uh, amazing personality whose life his mission of making people healthy is absolutely phenomenal what's also exciting is how humble he is and today uh, i want to cover various aspects of Luke's life including what got him to do this uh luke has had a very very colorful life so far he's traveled in many countries have tried various careers and today he's what i call the master healer and uh, we are going to learn how all this healing has happened but i want to start with something interesting luke uh welcome to the show hi vishal thanks for having me on the show so uh, so not many people know this but I know Luke now for almost seven and a half years. Uh, Luke and I met for the first time in 2010. And Luke, how do you describe that meeting? <laughs> I think that was a changing point in my whole, you know, journey with health. To be quite honest, because I met Vishal on a flight. I remember it was a Jet Airways flight from Bangalore to Mumbai. I was sitting in the center seat, and Vishal had a window seat. he was eating this biryani and i was writing scripts for my first book and then vishal asked me about my tattoos he started making conversation about my tattoos and then about you know what i was writing and we just got talking about health and that was our first meet something just clicked between us we exchanged numbers and we just kept in touch post that no no i mean, i think uh, that trip has possibly made a change in not only our lives but the lives of many 
I think Goki wouldn't have been possible uh, had we not done that trip together. But what really intrigued me, and this is what I really tend to do, is observe whenever you are traveling. Here I was sitting on this flight. I think at that point of time, I must be like some 120 kgs or so. And next to me is this completely ripped guy with tattoos all over. And I couldn't just help but ask him that what does he do and all of that. And one thing I remember which you told me was you manage the lifestyle of top executives from IBM. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And what I realized was what you were doing, which was in way back in like early 2010, 2011, was actually coaching people at the highest levels to get healthy. So tell me more about that time. What were you doing with IBM? So at that point, I was with IBM Vishal. And, you know, since I was very much into health, I was constantly studying. And I realized that our top executives, you know, they would travel the world on these business meets, but so many of them had health problems. And I would overhear them talking about, how uncomfortable it is to sit on a long flight to the US or to London and they would have back pains and they would miss days of work. So IBM had this integrative health care service program and I immediately asked to be part of that. In the meantime, I was involved in operations. Like you said, I was trying different careers and just completely lost, but enjoying my entire journey, always studying on the side. And I got the opportunity to start coaching people. And then they understood that there could be a return on investment in this whole health coaching at a high level because attrition would decrease. The amount of absenteeism because of health reasons would decrease. And just simple lifestyle changes uh, that they would make, like increasing their water intake, just walking at airports instead of sitting and waiting for like a two-hour or three-hour flight. These were simple changes that brought about a change in parameters in their medical reports. And they began to see the value of not just following a piece of paper given by a nutritionist saying eat half a potato or eat half a bowl of dal, but just making lifestyle changes could actually help them reduce their cholesterol, you know, lose their weight and build immunity. So I really but, but, but yeah. why did a company like IBM you know decide to have you do this because you know IBM could have hired all kinds of doctors and all kinds of people uh, you were not a doctor at that point of time and this was way early right so how did you convince IBM to let you do this I don't think I had to convince them because IBM as a company already had integrative health services and they have a team of doctors and they, they really look after the health of all of their employees. And I think it was just a standard pattern of, you know, doing things for a particular reason. Like you have a to-do list and you need to do X amount of vaccinations, X amount of blood tests, X amount of yoga classes and all of that stuff. And I thought bringing in the whole lifestyle where you don't have to wait for a seminar to happen, you don't have to wait for a program to be rolled out by a company, but you make lifestyle change as part of your daily life. So, so basically, IBM helped you innovate on top of what you were already doing. Mm, absolutely. I think uh, I think I learned from their system that we can reach out to executives of even other companies and not just executives, people, regular people, and use lifestyle to change their health. Wow. That's amazing. And I think that's one of the real things which kind of excited me because, you know, that time I was, of course, have nothing to do with health. Uh, I was running gaming. And uh, what the mental note which I made was that you are a cool dude. <laughs> and uh, I, I need to know cool people. And 
what made you a cool dude at that point of time with all these tattoos you know tell me about it how did you get so many tattoos and you know what is the story around you know i think they're like from 15 tattoos on you i don't know yeah maybe maybe a few more than that yeah, yeah. so how did you get these tattoos uh no actually that started when i was always fascinated with uh, body art and my dad was really strict he said until you have a job of your own two feet earning and you have a responsibility that's the only time you're allowed to do tattoos and pierce your ears and stuff like that so the moment i got my first job and started earning my first salary that's the first time i did a tattoo and it was really addictive after that i mean each tattoo i did was based on a tattoo is addictive yeah it gets kind of addictive you know it's not just the pain but it's the art that you have to keep and i think every country i travel to i had that whole goal that wherever i go i'll do a tattoo in that country revolving around you know that culture and so i think i got into that whole so each tattoo whole, is basically an archive of your travel or your memory in a particular country yeah absolutely it could be that so there was abstract when there was africa then there were aliens when it was israel then it was yoga when it was india so i think i've taken a little bit of each country and tried to put it in and which arms. is your favorite tattoo i think the arm that has all the aliens and the galaxies and the planets and the stars and the moon i think that's my favorite so i think when people meet luke i think this is one thing right he's not like the regular a doctor or wearing a suit or you know uh, like trying to be uh, uh, you know very formal you typically find him in a t-shirt and shorts and filled with tattoos and you don't expect uh, you know you expect this person to like you know uh, basically uh, break into a workout when you meet him which he of course does but how did your look or this particular approach of yours got people to take you seriously uh so i think i've always <clears throat> believed in being comfortable in what i wear and of course not harming you know religious sentiments of other people so if i'm in saudi arabia i will wear a local dress if i have to but other other than that i believe i can function best and i need my brain and my mind to function best in what i do if i'm comfortable in what i wear so i've never taken to suits i've never taken to wearing belts or formal shirts that have to be buttoned up it makes me uncomfortable it makes me feel claustrophobic and i think at first people would always have that look like you know you're going to handle my heart you're going to handle my cancer you know i would see that in them but i think the moment we started engaging and talking their focus was immediately off probably how i look or what i wear to you know the kind of effectiveness i could possibly bring if we started to you know work together and i think that gave me more and more confidence so i mean even my events at the ypos or talks around the world i would wear at least a formal shirt and pants but today i do it in short pants and a t-shirt as well because i believe that people want me there to hear what i have to say and how it's going to change their life and not how i look so and i, I think, think a lot of people you know kind of you know i i tell exactly the same you know even i have been in t-shirts my red t-shirts to all kinds of places the only place where i had to wear wore a suit like when i was meeting the president <laughs> of india of course yeah, uh, uh it was a big challenge i almost didn't want to go there but anyways yeah, you uh, looked good but you looked uncomfortable <laughs> no i think that. i think it's almost become like your skin Yeah. So I think uh, you know this becomes your identity like you know your tattoos and your look is your identity and you don't want to lose your identity just because you are going to you know meet somebody or at be at a particular place I I really don't believe in it I'm glad that we shared this idea and I think you know most people you know are are really really stressed about you know all these things but anyway let's leave that aside so coming back to your own story uh, this was 2010 you were writing your 
first script already for a book. Uh, and I think you had already released the book by then, right? Or were, that was the first. Oh, you were working on the first book. I the, was working on my first book. So, so tell me about your first book because writing a book is really challenging. And you know, you were doing this way early in your career, and that too in a very serious topic. It was about uh, eat healthy, sleep, and uh, yeah, know, just lifestyle. Yeah, it's just like lifestyle. simple: eat smart, move more, sleep right. You know, today, looking seven years back, I would also add the mind part of it that, you know, probably breed right as well. You know, that's how we constantly evolve and learn. But yeah, the first book was, you know, I mean, whenever I write any book, it's honestly, it's not like I enjoy writing. But for me, it's a way of getting my message to the masses. Because, you know, a couple of people may, you know, gift that book to someone else or read it. And the most oh, the most uh, fulfilling feedback is when someone says, hey, I read your book and I took out this one point which has impacted my life because I don't expect people to read a book and change their lives completely. But there's always that one point that could change your life. Something as simple as keeping a gap between your dinner and bedtime. So that book really brought out that point for so many Indians who have the habit of, you know, eating and jumping straight into bed. Yeah, you know, I, I, absolutely. In fact, I learned a lot from that book myself. And before this book, let's fast forward to Goa. You know, that's where you are originally from. Right. And that's where you grew up. So how was your childhood like? I mean, Goa, I mean, that's a place I would love to live, live all my life. And you were born there. Uh, <clears throat> no, I was not actually born in Goa. We traveled a lot before that. So, my so dad, where were you born? Uh, I was born in Bombay. And then we immediately went to London. And then we were in the US and then Saudi Arabia and then Dubai. My dad would keep getting transferred. And I think when he finally decided to retire, he decided to move straight to Goa. Wow. And uh, so that's and, how and we you reach also Goa. have a Portuguese connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my dad is basic, basically of Portuguese descent. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, Goa was great. We were at an age when the whole hippie culture was happening. So my dad, instead of buying property to build a house by the beach, which we all wanted, and it was full of the whole hippie culture at that point, and he had this whole preconceived notion of oh drugs and all of that stuff. He brought property in a village and. Um, he built a house over there and it's one of those beautiful homes where you have a river flowing behind and mountains and the, the traditional ground. traditional going, yeah. yeah and we were like at that point we were like we wanted the coolest stuff but today when we look back we couldn't be in a better place than just away from all the tourism and all the busy beaches and just being in a village with clean air birds peacocks and and you name it you'll see an occasional fox or a hyena and it's i mean it's not you know, rare to see a snake, you know, slither by your property like a cobra wow, or, a, wow, wow. you know, I mean, that's our life. And we've grown so used to it now, though I don't live in Goa anymore. But I think it was one of the best decisions. So, so how did you get into the health space? I think from Goa, what you decided to do was something else. After you finished <laughs> your college, you went to learn hotel management, right? Yeah, so I was in I was in Xavier's having the best time of my life, like anyone in college should do. And my dad started, you know, getting a little, you know, serious and saying, select a career and I'll start doing something. So at that point, one of my best friends, his name was Rohan Set. His dad was the general manager of the Taj group of hotels. So we would spend the weekends in the Taj playing tennis and, you know, eating free food and all of that stuff. So I said, oh, I want to become the GM so I can use the hotel whenever I want. It was that, <laughs> that immature was kind of a thought. So I told my dad, I want to do hotel management. So my dad figured it out and he got me into IHM and he paid quite a little, quite a bit of money for the fees. And on day one, when I sat in the class and did the whole orientation, I just realized how much I hate it. I mean, it was so not what I wanted to do, you know, the cooking part and 
F&B service and front office. But I didn't have the heart to tell him because my dad had retired a long time ago and we're six kids and there are six of them that he needs to put through college and possibly university and stuff. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go through these three years of IHM and figure it out later. And, and were you the eldest? Are you the eldest? Oh, no, I'm the second. Oh, the I'm second. the second. Okay. So I figured I'll stay on in college and I figured since I don't like it, I'll spend a lot of time out of college. So I would, my cousin, he, he owns a restaurant in Anjuna, it's called Alcove. And he would host a lot of these parties, these rave parties and stuff. So I got completely into it. I became a DJ and I would work part-time in the restaurant. So my parents would think, oh, he's learning and job shadowing oh, and doing all of it that It was stuff. actually none of that. <clears throat> it was none of that. So, uh, but there was one subject in IHM, which I really liked. It was called food science and nutrition, uh, food technology. And I just took to that subject, you know, how food can work in the human body, how food can provide you energy or even destroy energy in the human body. And then I just figured that hotel management is all about taking that food, which is the basic medicine in life and making it tasty, making it appealing to people and, you know, selling it in the form of food. So that was one subject I I really took to and I continued studying even post IHM. And that's how I moved into this whole line, basically. So, so after IHM, of course, you did not join any hotel or you became part of Taj Group. What did you do? Where did, where did that journey take you? So uh, we interned for six months. It's part of your IHM at the Taj, but I was lucky again. I mean, I was thinking, how am I going to get through six months of working in the kitchen and housekeeping in front office? But one night, the resident DJ didn't turn up. So the GM said, hey, you're a DJ. Do you mind playing tonight? We have a party. <laughs> so I played the first night and the second and then the third. And they just didn't look for another DJ. So my whole six months, I played every night. I went home in the morning to sleep because I had an excuse that I have to wake up and play all night again. So I just went through the internship so playing music. you are the accidental music. DJ. Yeah. And it escaped me from doing all that, you know, heavy work that all these uh, interns And have this is which property of Taj? This is the Taj at Aguada, Fort Aguada and oh. the Taj village. Wow. So, I've been there. It's, it's quite a property. It's, yeah, it's, it's right overlooking the sea and that the whole yeah. fort. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful property. So right after then, I was still confused. I didn't, I didn't ever think I want to get into the line of nutrition or medicine or whatever it is. So at that point, I just, I just wanted to travel. So I took any job that would get me to travel. So I took up an assignment in uh, in Qatar, in Dubai, which was re all revolving around customer service and operations and all of those things. I went to London. I worked with Prudential for about six months. Wow, and Prudential. Hated, yeah, hated every part of it because I'm not so fond of numbers, except if they're on medical reports. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of that. I did a little bit in Australia, a little bit in Israel. I just kept traveling and then I said, okay, let me come back to India. And when I came back to India, the first job that was there was IBM. So I was at IBM for about 10 years, almost 11 years in 11 operations. Years. And how did IBM, like, you know, your, your, your resume read DJ and hotel management and traveler in all these places. So it's who, a good who recruited you at IBM? Who was your main boss there? Yeah, her name was Richa Maitani and she was handling Circuit City. That was the electronic store in the US at that point. And uh, I wouldn't write too much of the DJ on my resume at that point. But I had a lot of customer service experience and the whole hotel management thing. People wanted people from the hotel industry to lead their accounts and operations. So I just took up the job and I kept studying. I kept working. I kept observing. And then I think it's after I met you and you explained your whole idea. I think we met about three months later at Yoga House in yeah. Bandra. No, no, we met, I think, to discuss the Goki idea. Yeah. We met in 2012. Yeah, but so I was we, in... We kept 
in touch on and off yeah we kept in touch and then we met at yoga house yeah, i think in, in bandra in yoga house to discuss the yeah. we we'll, we'll come to the goki story a little <laughs> later i want to first zero in back to your story yeah on all the so you were at ibm for 10 years and what did you do for 10 years there so i did operations and then ibm has this whole work from home policy or this flexible working thing where you can do whatever you want so long as it doesn't conflict with what ibm's doing so i continued to study and i continued to handle a lot of businessmen i think my first major businessman at that point was mehul choksi who leads gitanjali and part of the whole diamond community so i think through his sister i spent a lot of time with his sister and their son in the us training them getting them on nutrition plans and then i think uh, once i had success with them i was suddenly in this whole diamond community so i would travel to antwerp maybe twice a month and meet a lot of these diamond merchants put their health on track come back and you know i could constantly continue working with ibm as well so it was brilliant because it gave me the opportunity to continue doing what i wanted to do but, but putting people's health on track i mean so far you did not have any training in health or nutrition <clears throat> all your training was hotel management so how did you get yourself oh no i got certified in between while i was in dubai i studied nutrition so i studied exercise that's how i became an exercise physiologist i studied sports nutrition i studied pediatrics and then I had this whole stint with Yale where I could become an international collaborator with them and launch a whole child's program on nutrition which is Dr. Katz, you know, brain child. Yeah, of course, Dr. Peter Katz yeah. is amazing. So, uh, you know, I had that whole international collaboration with them. So I kept on learning and I kept on getting certifications from, you know, the Gold Coast Training Academy in Australia. I just kept building, you know, around what i wanted to learn so mm-hmm. if there was a gap in the market like you know i realized that kids are getting unhealthy today and, and at that point of time how old were you this was i would be about 26 25 or 26 25 or 26 you yeah. were already training people in antwerp you had yeah. already done all these studies and you started as a dj in in a <laughs> in a in goa right so from djing and playing music in people's lives you started literally helping people become healthier so that was a big jump so who was your first customer who took you seriously i think it was uh, mehul choksi's sister nina shait at that time so her husband is also a diamond merchant and manages massive brands like tiffany's and mm-hmm. you name no, it how in did, new york so how did she sign you up right i mean what happened so one of my clients in ibm she was not an employee she was a client a client account of orange at that time the telecom in great britain So she was a account sitting out of the IBM office and uh, she was British and she had a couple of health issues so she approached me because she got to know I was you know you know handling the health of certain VPs and CEOs so you know I I fixed her it was that simple I fixed her with lifestyle and she was staying in this massive apartment in Juhu which was actually rented you know from uh, Mehul Choksi's sister so uh, I think her name was Sam Sam Merton she told Nina basically hey listen i had all these health problems and Luke fixed them and you know you you say that you have these issues of diabetes why don't you speak to him so Nina immediately called me and then we just took off from then i mean uh, i believe in effectiveness more than anything else you know it's not about having the right plan it's about being effective with that person and i think within a week she started seeing a difference in her sugar levels and her weight in her cholesterol levels and then i think word just went around the diamond merchant the community is probably just a network where people talk all the time so all of a so sudden the diamond all over. merchants found the real diamond actually <laughs> in you literally that's how you can put it i think yeah it all started off from there 
Wow. So, so that's really exciting, right? I mean, you are now suddenly traveling all over the world, helping people become healthy. And what was happening back in India? What was, you know, were you going to Goa? Were you in Mumbai? Where were you? Where were you based here? I was between Mumbai. I was between Goa because I would, you know, go back to visit my family. And uh, I also have a, a really good friend in Goa who studies herbs and studies roots and he would constantly be sharing his studies and I was like wow if it's so good why aren't people using it in health and I started traveling to Coimbatore where I met another friend of mine uh, Vinod who would you know be able to produce these herbs and send them to me something as simple as curcumin which the western world calls yellow gold and our own country in India doesn't use it that effectively for disease so I figured why is there so much of gap in our whole healthcare system you know there are treatments but people are getting sicker and sicker you can see it in the statistics you can see it in people around you so I figured that something's not right and what's that gap I can fill is it only nutrition or is it something beyond nutrition and that answer I found and, you know, everything led to something else, basically. And I think it's been a journey. I think the only thing I've kept doing is constantly studying. Because if there's one thing I've learned, Vishal, and I know, I mean, I know you, it's something I've learned from you as well. If there's a structure, sometimes it's good to work out of the structure or look out of the structure. Because, you know, we say today a lot of doctors are controlled with the medical curriculum, with what they learn. It's what they have to do. Anything out of the curriculum, they don't do and they shouldn't have to do it. Likewise, I could say the same thing for nutritionists today. What we learn, what we learn, okay, is not as it should be always. You got to think out of it. Like today, I mean, everyone thinks that four to five fruits are healthy. Everyone thinks you should start your day off with breakfast, including myself, because that's what we learned. That's what we believe. But when you look beyond and you start seeing that these concepts are still making people unhealthy or not giving them back their health, you start to look outside and challenge, like, why breakfast? You know, is it man-made? Is it made by the food lobbies to push particular breakfast cereals, which is like a billion-dollar industry? It starts, you know, it starts raising these, this kind of curiosity in you that if I as a nutritionist is telling people to eat breakfast because I learned it back in nutrition school, but people eating breakfast are still unhealthy. They still have bloating and flatulence and are struggling to lose weight. Let me look beyond it. So I think, I think we, we'll talk about breakfast later, yeah. but let's go back to now 2000, almost 2012 when I remember meeting you. So this was the time I had the idea of Goki and the idea of a wearable with a coach and I remember telling you about it and your first reaction was this is what I exactly do so tell me what were you doing that time how were you talking to your clients and uh, how were you kind of helping them become healthier what was your initial strategy so I think it was using lifestyle to heal people so what, what I meant yeah. was what technology were you using how oh the technology that? was so simple at that time we had whatsapp and we had messenger so all I would do is mail the plan to the client and then keep in touch with them over WhatsApp and SMS. And there's one thing that I believe that, you know, the more I'm in touch with them, the more they can share with me. So I was so excited with your idea of reaching out to millions of people using technology, which can structure, keep your data and at the same time, be accessible to so many people. I think that was the best part because today, if you look, you have a nutritionist relationship with a patient or a doctor-patient relationship and everything happens in that 5 or 10 or 15 minutes. After that, there's a disconnect. And I loved your idea because I can be connected with my client or my patient or the player right through every single day, which builds rapport, which builds trust and which builds information sharing. So the more a patient shares with me, the more I can help them because I can add 
address the root cause of the problem and not just the symptom. And I think and that's exactly why, you know, we decided to collaborate because I think your idea of lifestyle was so simple. I think people try to complicate life and health right. in a big way by giving all kinds of jargons. I think your mantra was very simple, which is be active, eat healthy, sleep, and of course now stress, meditate yeah. and Manage de-stress yourself. And that's exactly what Goki was trying to do. It right. was not about, so I, I believe in the Pareto principle, you know, focusing on the 20%, which gets you the 80%, 80% result. Right. And Absolutely. that's really the 20%. If you can yeah. just get these 20% right, that's really what it is. And today with Goki, what we've been able to do is use your methodology and disseminate it to many, many people through our coaching platform. But once again, coming back to your own life and how it shaped up, so I remember in 2013, you were still with IBM. I think you were looking to move out of IBM and all of that. Right. And you were at that point of time, you had already <clears throat> published your first book. And now you were suddenly hobnobbing with celebrities. And that's got you to your second book, which none other than Shilpa Shetty. So tell me, how did that happen? And how did the Bollywood celebrity suddenly became one of your key customers whom you were helping becoming healthier? Okay, let's go back to the IBM bit because you play a major role in that decision. So I think I was so comfortable in my life being with IBM. You know, you have your fixed income coming. The, the company's letting you do what else you want to do. Like it's perfect, you know, there's none of that conflict. And But I think at that point when I met you and you told me what you're doing, I figured now I really need to take that step out of this, get out of my comfort zone. Things were going good for me anyway. And I think that was the best decision of my life. I would keep calling you, and you would, IBM. and you would <laughs> IBM. It is not my fault. Luke is just no, saying no, no, it no, no. Because back. Vishal would keep calling me and saying, "Hey, you know, uh, wh when are you coming on board? When are you joining?" And, and I remember he was the first guy to call me when Tiana was born yeah. in the hospital. He was the first guy, and we yeah. didn't even have like a working relationship or whatever. And there was something about Vishal, you know, he would, I had studied his profile in, in detail and seen the risks he had taken. And I figured it's about time I take this risk and it can't be a risk because even by quitting IBM, I still have, you know, all of my clients in Antwerp and in the U S and stuff. But I think overcoming that fear a lot had to do with, you know, not the pressure that you were putting on me, but you kept sharing more and more exciting ideas indirectly. And I was like, I have to be there. I have to be there. I think, you know, life is too short to you know, yeah. live uh, safe. And that's what I keep telling yeah. people, right? The, the biggest risk you are taking is by not doing something different. Absolutely. And I think that's really what it is, right? I mean, uh, to play safe is actually being the most, taking the most risk. Exactly. And I took the plunge. And from then, I think everything opened up, be it Bollywood, because I had more time on hand, you know. So I was in Goa when Shilpa called me up and she got her number from a friend of hers who I had helped, you know, with her health and her child's health. So Shilpa called me up. I'd never watched a Hindi movie in my life. <laughs> and we then. know how and, good your Hindi and is. And I still haven't. And uh, so she told me and she was very humble. And she said, you know, when you get back to Bombay, you know, why don't you meet me? So I met her. And we went over her, her son Vian's diet program. We spoke about her health and we, we just kicked off because she was speaking the same language. She said, I don't want to do supplements. I don't want supplements. I don't believe in this. She spoke everything that you and I believe in. Lifestyle, being natural, being true to your body. And so we really took off more as friends than a nutritionist client kind of a relationship. We would talk, meet up for meals, talk about health. And then uh, we were on this flight coming back from New York together and... Um, 
I was going through all my cancer notes and my cases and she was going through them. She said, can I have a look at them? And she said, you've put most of them on Indian food. So I said, yeah. And she's saying, but they're white. So I said, yeah, but they're eating Indian food because they've seen the benefit in their health and immunity. So then she she said, like, hey, we, you know, if it's Indian food, let's just do a book about Indian food for our own country because we have India now trying to eat pastas and burgers and, you know, imitate the West. And here you are telling sick people who are Caucasian to eat Indian food. And, and I know that, doing that it. got you to the great Indian diet, right? That exactly. Is- so in, I think we were probably over Dubai at that point or Turkey. And we decided, like, we're going to write this book. We just made a decision. It took us two or three years because we were so busy. We would, whenever we met, we would put a chapter together, you know, and all of that stuff. But we finally got it going. You know, we never wanted to do it as a kind of a project. We said, when it happens, it'll happen. And I think, you know? and one good thing about Shilpa is she's very authentic. So I don't know. I think I told you, right? I and we both were volleyball. classmates. We and you used to yeah. play volleyball together, awesome. right? From our school days in Chembur. Right. So, so Shilpa and I also go back now, like almost whatever, 20 years or 25 years. And I know since then that whatever she does, she does it with passion and authenticity. And I think that's what yeah. really came out in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I wanted to do a book with someone who will really be true to the people out there because there are a lot of fans who believe that, oh, I need steroids to build a body. You know, I need supplements to do this. But Shilpa is very, very clear through entire pregnancy journey. She didn't take any supplements and losing all that weight. She did it without even a whey protein shake. I know that because I was part of that journey. So I think that message is to so many women out there who think that, you know, I need to punish my body with all this artificial stuff to look good. But all she used was lifestyle. No, no. And I think she's a great example of how. Uh, you can adopt healthier lifestyle and natural methods to transform yourself. Absolutely. And I think she's been an example for that. The Vishal Gondal Show will be right back after this break. Hey friend, so if you're listening to a podcast right now, you're probably some kind of a nerd. A nerd at heart at least. So maybe, just maybe, you might like another podcast about nerds. By nerds and for nerds. It's called Geek Food, a community to unite estranged geeks from across India and later on the world. We talk about television, movies, science fiction, adventure, fantasy, etc. Anything nerdy, it's all here on Geek Food. You can catch a fresh episode every Monday and a retcon episode every Tuesday. And you can check us out on iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Like my favorite podcast app, the IVM Podcast app. Give me my money, IVM. Good plug. Happy listening, you nerds. So how was the book received and how did that book change your life? So I think it was received really, really well. Number one, because Indians finally woke up and said, wow, we can eat our Indian food because you have a connect with your staple food. And today people are telling Indians don't eat rice and don't eat this. Have quinoa, have chia seeds. And it sounds healthy. People can afford it, but they're not happy. And I think anything that you eat should make you happy as long as it's done the right way. So I think the book really opened up that whole understanding amongst people from all over India that I can eat my own Indian food, enjoy it and also be healthy. Exactly. And I think, you know, so many misconceptions around ghee, around haldi, around yeah. uh, rice, around coconut oil. oil, coconut oil, all these things, <clears throat> right? All these were yeah. debunked in that book, which was literally amazing. And you won't believe it, Vishal. We had Sheikh Nayan from Dubai reach out to us. He got us down to Dubai to launch the book. And he was telling me how much of turmeric he has in his diet. No, I mean, it's amazing, yeah. right? I so. mean, turmeric is so important uh, in our lifestyle. And I think I'm glad now at least 
more and more people are understanding the benefit of this right so after this particular book you also went on to tv you did this uh, you're doing this show with tara sky uh, this whole fitness channel and that is with sunil shetty so that's right so tell me yeah. about that so sunil shetty reached out to me and he said hey listen my my channel is all of fitness can i and i see what your point you know there has to be nutrition with fitness so he got me to do a couple of shows and uh, we have a lot of projects coming up uh, now as well and uh, i think he said that's a great channel because it reaches out to tie to cities where people still believe that you know you should buy a supplement that you see on tv or an ab roller and a cruncher or with one of the sauna belts sauna belts and all of that stuff so he's very particular that i want to get the right message out to the people so we did a couple of shows where we moved fitness with nutrition to show people that just working out in a gym is not going to make you thin or healthy that you got to get your basic food right as well along with your sleep yeah. and And you also worked stress. with a lot of other Bollywood uh, stars, right? I think you also helped Imran Hashmi. So yeah. tell me why, and that's been already talked about a lot on Twitter. I saw a few tweets on that. So I think it didn't start off with Imran. It started off with his son hmm. Ayan, basically. So he went through cancer, and he went through a Wilms tumor, and he was treated in Canada. And the moment they brought him back. I forget which celebrity called me to say that. Hey, listen, can you please go and meet Imran and his son? I I don't really it is, remember. It's so amazing it how casually you say. I don't know which celebrity called me. Uh. <laughs> I really don't remember, but uh, I remember I was in New York and I flew back, and I went to meet them, Imran and um, Parveen, and excellent, beautiful people who had already studied how lifestyle should work for cancer because Imran had done all of his research and realized that chemo and radiation is just a crutch, but there's going to be so much more that we need to do to you know give this boy a life of remission. So uh, we started working together on his food on his supplementation and I mean he's in remission today he's active he's like full of fun I mean he's he's one of the most amazing kids the moment I step into his house he just come run and hug you and just not leave you I mean yeah and then I started working with Parveen and now I'm working with uh, Imran as well he's working on his new movie and what I like is Bollywood is kind of changing every celebrity that reaches out to me today be it uh, Anushka Shetty from the Bahubali movie to Alara Datta to Imran you name it they all say that look we want to get a good body but we want to do it the right way we don't want to destroy our immunity we want to use more of lifestyle and less of all of these you know uh, quick fixes and that's what I like because that's when I know I managed to create effectiveness because it's easy to give people steroids and say hey yeah you can you know there are syringes there are six syringes that you can buy and get a six pack in 40 days they cost about 1600 US dollars each and it's available in the Mumbai market you inject it along your abs and it just melts the fat around your abdomen wow, that's, that's and you have a shortcut nobody should take yeah, but you won't believe how many people take that shortcut you know and it comes with the side effects you know so I was I was with Anushka in Dubai just last week and we were talking about her new role and she was telling me how she needs to do it the perfect way and i think uh, we possibly may be doing our next book together and she just made one statement that look i want to send out the right message to my fans because when my fans come and talk to me they say oh your hair looks so beautiful and i have such ugly hair and she says i tell them no that's not my hair those are hair nets that we wear in the movie this is my natural hair this is my natural skin have a look at my face it's not flawless you know so she has that whole thing of making her fans believe that no, and, and i that, think this is exactly true right this is what happened yeah. and when we were speaking to ranveer the whole episode of um, amir khan and dangal on right. how he rapidly lost his weight and became yeah. this you know builder bodybuilder fixed pack guy yeah. so i think you know 
I think Bollywood celebrities and celebrities in general need to be very responsible with the products they endorse, with the lifestyle they project because people mimic it and it is kind of creating so much negative uh, effects for people and their lifestyle. Exactly. So so talking about all these celebrities, uh, what is the one thing which you suggest all these people which they are now right now doing wrongly? Immunity. I tell them whatever you're doing, whether you're working out two hours in a gym to get that body, do not compromise your immunity because you can be the fittest person with a size zero figure or a six pack. But with low immunity, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because you have low immunity, that one carcinogen in the air that you breathe or that little pesticide on the fruit that you just ate is enough to cause a mutation. It's enough to cause a cancer or a disease. And you see today, it's not just unhealthy people who get sick. Even fit people get sick. Fit people get cancer. So the underlying uh, vision is immunity. So, you know, fine, do an intensive workout, but make sure you're resting and recovering that much. You got the right amount of protein, carbohydrates and fats as well and vitamins so that you support what you're doing to your body. And I think when we get all of those pieces together, they feel better You know, they enjoy what they're doing and you have their medical parameters to say, wow, my immunity is fantastic. I have low inflammation in my body. My levels are perfect. And that's that's what being effective is, you know. So so let's now talk a little bit about cancer. I know that's something you're really, really been working on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Traditionally, uh, you used to hear a lot about heart disease in India. But today, uh, I think what has become very common is to hear about people you know either very closely or some person you know in your circle who has got cancer and a lot of people are stage three stage four and cancer is almost becoming an epidemic and unfortunately this is one thing which people don't know how to prevent i mean heart disease you know today fairly you know what you can do to prevent heart disease what you can do to prevent diabetes but cancer is something where you just don't know anything So what is your take on cancer and what you are doing and how is it impacting people's health and how are you helping those people? So, uh, so Vishal, it's actually already, it's, it's already become an epidemic. It is an epidemic. I mean, when you look at, you don't look at just a primary cancer, what's become an epidemic is the people who are going through chemo and radiation and getting cured and the cancer comes back after six months. That's become an epidemic because then you went through treatment, but the disease still came back in multiple locations in your body. So in, in the US, it's not about, will I get cancer? It's about when is it going to happen? That's how patients talk to me. You know, like, you know, look at my reports. Do you think it's going to happen in five or 10 years? I said, it doesn't have to happen. But they they so believe that it is going to happen in a lifetime because that's the way it's been projected. So cancer was never, ever my line. I never dreamed ever I would ever be successful in handling cancer or even be in that line. I had no affinity to it. I remember about four and a half years ago, I got a call from a very senior member in the Jindal family. And he was like, Luke, uh, you know, we're sending a car. Can you drive down to Pune? It was about like, I think two in the morning. Uh, There's someone who's been given two weeks to live. And can you just, you know, look at his reports, give him some food so he's comfortable. You know, we don't want him to die with suffering. So uh, I said, okay, you know, I mean, two weeks to live. I think it was less than that. I don't really remember. Uh, so at that point, Natasha said, Hey, listen, I mean, just go, just go to Pune, you know, and figure it out. So, so the car came, picked me up. I reached Pune by five in the morning. I looked at the patient. He was already in cachexia. That means, you know, your body's literally eating your own cells. You've become skin and bone. And 
you know, uh, I looked at his body, I had a look at his reports. And there was one thing I looked at the last five years, because I like to, you know, look from the start of the cancer. There was one thing that was just glaring out from every report, immunity. It was so low before he got so how chemo. Do you, what, what is immunity? What is the parameter? You look at your CBC. You look at your neutrophils, you look at your lymphocytes, you look at your WBCs, you look at your hemoglobin. This is all that works together to help us, from, you know, recover from a disease or prevent a disease. You look at CRP, if your inflammation is really high, your immunity is really low, you look at your thyroid, all of these. And I was like, how come for like five years, no one has even tried to bring his immunity up? So I spoke to the patient, he was already delirious and stuff. And I put a couple of food things again. And I said, I'm just going to work on his immunity. Because if his immunity comes up a little bit, he's going to feel better. If he feels better, he's going to get hope. If he gets hope, there's no one in this world that can tell you, hey, you have two weeks to live or three months to live. So I worked on his immunity. We got a little curcumin in. We started getting a little bit of protein in, the right foods, pumpkin seeds, because his zinc levels were really low. Two weeks became four weeks. It became a month. It became three months. It became six months. You know, we did a lot of alternative treatment and the family was like, I think, you know, word went around that, hey, this guy has just come and played around with immunity and the patient's living. From then, I had calls every single day, right from India to Dubai to the US. It just went around. And I was like, oh my God, if immunity can do that, and we all learn that, you know, boost immunity and you'll be healthy, but no one's really doing it. Everyone's just telling you, eat healthy foods, but no and one's looking at... Unfortunately, most of the treatment, the chemotherapy, the antibiotics are actually damaging the immunity, right? That's what they Yeah, are. it is. In its honest attempt, like, you know, I'm not against antibiotics. I'm not against chemo and radiation so long as it's done the right way. And that's the reason, Vishal, why people are dying today and not healing from cancer. Because it's being done... But doctors are not telling the patients, change your lifestyle, change the way you eat, the way you sleep. In fact, they're telling them, eat whatever you want. And that's like a death sentence, if you ask me, because if you tell a patient to eat what he wants when he's undergoing chemo, you're going to move into organ failure. You're, you're going to move into lower immunity. And basically, if you look at most cancer cases, most of them, the patient doesn't die of the cancer. They die of organ failure, cardiac arrest kidney function, most of them, which is caused by the side effects of chemo and radiation. But like I said, chemo and radiation is necessary. But what is also necessary is to change your lifestyle, the way you eat, your stress levels. 86% of the cases of breast cancer that we determined in India in 2016 and 2017, if you ask a doctor, what is the root cause? They don't know what the root cause is because it's not their job to look at the root cause. Their job is to treat the symptom. But I believe that if you find the root cause, and if the root cause is food, then you should be focusing on food. If the root cause is stress. But isn't the root cause genetics? That's what people say, oh, cancer is in the genes, and that's what's really happening. So there are a lot of genetic cancers, but you also have to look at genetics and epigenetics has become a trillion dollar industry. So now when you shift the focus to genes, everyone wants to start, you know, looking and testing for their genes and looking for treatments for their genes. But you always have to think of it as a loaded gun. We're all loaded guns. We have good genes and bad genes. The trigger, if you have the wrong trigger that shoots out that gene that causes a cancer or diabetes or whatever it is, you get the disease. Very few cancers like infants who are born with a blood cancer, leukemia, you can say is 100% genetic and there is really not much that you can do. But when you suddenly get a cancer out of the blue, even if your mother had it or your father or your maternal grandparents, it doesn't mean you have to get it. 
there has to be something that triggers a gene. All of us have cancer cells. You and I have cancer cells right now. But what's going to trigger that cancer cell into a mutation is what is important. Now, that could be a pesticide, that could be low immunity, that could be your stress, that could be constipation, that could be your acidity, yeah. acidity, innumerable medications that you're taking to treat diabetes, heart, high blood pressure, thyroid together. All of these things are triggers for a bad gene to express itself. So I refuse, I refuse to believe that people say, oh, it's in my family, so I'm going to get it. Well, you are definitely going to get it. It's like diabetics. If your parents are diabetic, it doesn't mean you're going to get be diabetic. You just got to work a little harder because you're probably prone to it. You have those genes. So genetics is an easy way to justify that whole, you know, I shouldn't do this because it's going to happen. It's like taking a cholesterol pill. My reports are fine. A statin. Oh, my HDL is good. My triglycerides are good. So let me eat what I want. But you got cholesterol because you ate what you wanted. So the pill is giving you this illusion that you're healthy, but you're still unhealthy because you're on a pill. So get to the root cause, change your behavior, change your lifestyle, get off the pill when you have to safely with your doctor in the loop. But if you're on a pill or you're on two pills, you're not healthy. You are unhealthy. Unfortunately, people have to be on it because of, you know, sometimes accidents or surgeries and vice versa. But if you're on a pill because of your lifestyle, because you can't have a proper lifestyle, you are unhealthy. You know? and, and when it comes to something as complex as cancer, uh, if what you are seeing is so good and it can really help people, why is it not that well understood or so popular? Why is every doctor, every hospital not doing this? Uh, see, Vishal, there's no magic in what I do. There's no magic in what a doctor does, to be quite honest. You know, there's no magic. The magic is in your own body healing itself. It is something that no scientist has understood till date, how immunity works. If I can get your immunity to work for you, your own immunity will heal you from cancer, from cardiovascular. It will remove even 97% of the blockages in your heart if your body is enabled to do it. So we are all coaches trying to enable your body to do it for you. So for example, right now, if you're stressed out, if you're really, really stressed and you go to a doctor, your cholesterol levels are going to be high. Your blood pressure is going to be high. And if the doctor doesn't ask you, hey, what's been going on in your life in the last one week, you're going to get a pill. But do you need a pill or do you need to understand and be told that, hey, Vishal, in the last one week, you've been really stressed. Go home, change your lifestyle, whatever, and come back after two weeks. And that's exactly how our doctors before treated us. No, if but you I think remember. it's also because I think in India and most people, when you go to a doctor, you expect a pill in return. You know, so I think it's You're right. also the... It's to blame. Where to yeah. blame? The the common public is and to blame. Especially for in a India, quick fix. it's so bad yeah. that people are self-medicating. You know, people yeah. just go randomly and get antibiotics and, yeah. you know, are like literally don't even go to doctors. People are self-prescribing medicines to themselves. Yeah. So yeah, you have the people to blame as well, because as, as a human race today, we want a quick fix. You know, someone says, oh, I need to be on a flight to New York tonight. I have diarrhea. Now, I can't tell him, hey, listen, go home and rest, have arrowroot with water, eat like the brat diet and you'll be fine. He needs to go to New York. So if he's not going to get something from me, he's going to go and get a pill from a doctor. And I believe that pharmaceuticals and all companies look for that gap, anything that can give you human pleasure or reduce pain, because humans are hardwired towards pleasure and avoiding pain. So think about it. Anything that gives you comfort is something that you will want. Anything that can take away pain is something that you want. So when you build a business, which is the big pharmaceutical business, which is required because they make life-saving drugs, but also a pill for acidity. I mean, people taking antacids 
it is the number one reason why we have gut issues in India and colon cancers and diabetes and gallbladder issues. And it's handed out like candy because it'll give you immediate relief. So you can go on eating that crappy food that causes acidity or go on living the lifestyle because the pill's giving you relief. So you feel, oh, I'm healthy. Let me continue doing this until your body breaks out into some disease, you know. So that's the gap that has to be and, fixed. And, and you, know? you studied about You've been doing research on cancer across many countries and you've been right. off late to Cuba, Mexico, uh, right. and you also just finished your MD degree. So tell me a little bit about what you learned from all these countries, because traditionally people only talk about the US and maybe UK. But what did you learn from Mexico? What did you learn from Cuba? And how have you incorporated all of that into your learnings? I think the one thing I learned from Cuba and Mexico is that they have the best medical systems in the world. And why? Number one. They have no FDA overlooking them. Now, there's nothing wrong with the FDA. We need rules and regulations. But when the FDA starts interfering with drugs that can potentially save people, but they're threats to other drugs that the farmers make, that's when you're interfering with the healing of a patient. We need the FDA because we don't want doctors or nutritionists randomly telling people, hey, do this, do this, because they feel it's right. There has to be regulation. But when you have a drug that can potentially cure diabetes, but is going to challenge the metformin industry, which is a trillion dollar industry, which most people with diabetes take, the FDA rules that out based on, oh, it's not conclusive, it's not proven, it's not whatever, because the flack comes from the pharmaceuticals, because so, anything so, that so, challenges that. So for a second, let's, let's not get into the flack. What is the yeah. good thing about, what did you learn in Cuba? What are they doing differently why are people there more healthier compared to other markets? So they're looking at alternative medicine, which means there are doctors in Mexico and Cuba who will also do chemo, but they are also looking at the root cause of the problem. They're not just treating the symptom. They want to know where the cancer came from. They want to see what else they can naturally do with the body to manage the side effects of chemo. So think of chemo as putting cytotoxins in the body. Honest attempt to kill the cancer cells, but it's also killing everything it's around. It's like carpet bombing, right? You have a exactly. few terrorists in your body and to kill those few terrorists, you have carpet bombed the, the entire body. And yeah, of course, it'll kill those six terrorists, but it'll yeah. also kill all the civilian population. Exactly. So Mexico and Cuba will look at how can I manage the collateral side effects of the medication, number one, and how can I parallelly build immunity? So they do this with vaccines from scorpion blood and, you know, everything else where the modern man will say, oh, wow, that seems so rural and it just can't wait because we're brainwashed with, you know, an IV or an injection or a pill and the way that it looks and the way that it's marketed. So in Mexico, again, it doesn't come under the FDA. So doctors can look at a case and think beyond no, but, just but the case. Know, the problem you know? is that there are a lot of quacks also, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if there is no FDA or if there is no regulations, you know, Especially in India, there are all these babas and there are all these jadi booties and you know, there's so much of superstition and all of that, right? So, I mean, you do require these things. Absolutely. Like I said, you need regulation everywhere. But I think when a patient signs up with someone, for example, and if they understand the logic behind, like I always tell people today, do chemo and do radiation. But if you're not changing your lifestyle, if you're not, there is something that's going to happen. So, so, you know? I, I, so, you know, everybody talks about and we all know Steve Jobs, I think yeah. uh, he was suffering from cancer and he tried the alternative medicines and unfortunately he could not make it. Mm -hmm. And he's been one of those cases every time I talk about, you know, alternative treatments and natural treatments, everybody says, hey, if Steve Jobs would have done this, he would have been alive. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts around people who are, do not still believe in this whole methodology? Of alternative yes. or of conventional? Of alternative. 
See, I don't think alternative should ever be taken as a replacement. It should never be a replacement. So what like, Steve Jobs was doing was replacing it. Yeah, saying, you don't replace it because you look, I mean, if the disease has already destroyed your body, you need conventional medication. You need conventional treatments. Suddenly deciding to move completely natural. Like if someone's on a statin right now and says, hey, Luke, I want to go alternative. It doesn't mean I can remove him off his statin. I got to build up his body. I need to, you know, get all his levels up and then say, okay, now your levels are better. Go to your doctor, reduce it by 5 mg. Come back again, observe, continue making lifestyle changes. So it can never, ever be used as a replacement. So all the quacks out there who basically say, hey, listen, don't do chemo, don't do come to me, I'll fix you naturally. Okay, you got to be careful of that. It's more about management. So the doctor, I always say, uh, Vishal, the model that, that we propose at Goki is also integrative in nature. What do I mean by that? You have the patient in the center. And around that, you have everything that can possibly heal the patient, a doctor, an oncologist, a nutritionist, maybe a yoga therapist, maybe a personal trainer, maybe a physiotherapist. Because the patient can have so many issues, which is only now being handled between a doctor and a patient. But when you put the patient in the middle and you the give them that right? the ecosystem, the, the that's when the patient heals. And But we have ego in our system today. So the oncologist feels threatened by what the nutritionist may do. But it's not about that. No, but, but you know, of, do what you want. But a lot but, of oncologists are now taking this positive. We spoke to Samara and I think right. that's what's happening, right? So today, how many doctors and hospitals are collaborating with you? This is not like yeah. anti-doctor. It's anti not anti-doctor. In fact, what I'm proposing is, and the only thing that I want is that everyone works together, keeping the patient's interest in mind. Because no one wants to tell you, you're a doctor, you know what you have to do. Please go ahead and do it. But... Also, let us do what we have to do. So you're putting in poison. We want to take the poison out of the system. It's as simple as that. So with Samara, that was great because we've always been talking about this holistic center where we can treat people. And she has her own challenges, which she would have discussed with you, where doctors are even saying, okay, give me a commission and I'll recommend your product. Sorry, this is life-saving and you want a commission on something like that. So there's a lot of breakthrough work. I'm working with an organization in Chennai with over 50 doctors and oncologists who want to bring this change in together. You know, where we understand that it's not you versus me, it's us together for the patient. It's happening. I think the Asian Institute of Cancer reached out to me last night and they, they've been following my work. And they said, like, Luke, we want your work to be part of our whole thing. So I have a meeting next week with a whole team of oncologists. So I believe that it's taking off right now. You know, I mean, where oncologists call you or you have the top oncologists from India giving my card to patients, you know, the moment they get diagnosed now. Before it was usually fourth stage when they say, oh, our chemos are not working anymore. Uh, go meet this guy, Luke. You know, he's <laughs> good with whatever. And that happened three years ago. But today, doctors are sending people even when they're diagnosed that, hey, listen, do my treatment. Because they know I'm not going to tell the patient, hey, don't do this treatment treatment at all we're going to do it but we're going to work together so well, and, I, and I that's, think that's really where the magic is and I think that's exactly what we did at Goki right exactly. we are just helping people change their lifestyle right. but Goki is designed for people who are still healthy what if somebody has a family member or somebody knows of somebody who is uh, being detected with cancer mm -hmm. what can they do what are your recommendations to them uh, of course, they can connect with you and, you know, we learn about that. But what kind of questions they should be asking their doctors? All right. So the first thing I think with anyone being diagnosed with cancer, and this really needs to get out of there, is the first thing you have to stop your intake of white sugar. Because it's clear you don't need more proof than a PET scan to tell you why sugar feeds cancer cells. So I tell everyone because we get over 2000 inquiries every day and my wait list is over a thousand right now. So that's why, you know, through Goki, we're trying to drive awareness through YouTube, through, you know, because 
I don't know whether I'll ever reach that weight list before and, a patient. And by the way, all I can tell you is yeah. I do not remember the last time I had added sugar. So I think I have now quit white sugar, sugar. almost six, yeah. seven years back. Yeah. So I mean, if there's any message I have to send to anyone is number one, if you get diagnosed, first stop white sugar. Number two, I would say don't even you know, wait to be diagnosed. Yeah, don't even wait to be diagnosed. Just That's just a different thing. That's a different thing. But the whole thing is ask your, your doctor questions. It They take an oath, like we take an oath in alternative medicine as well, that you have to give time to your patient and you have to make them feel comfortable today the diagnosis happens in five minutes a surgery is organized for you in the next half an hour with your room booked in a span of one hour you don't give the patient even the time to absorb that i've got a cancer which is a very emotional thing so out of fear you say yes 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 two days later the breasts of a young girl who's 30 years old is removed my question is, was your cancer so aggressive that if you kept it for five or six days, would it have spread? Would it have whatever? And the doctor says, no, the sooner we do it, the better. So my whole point is ask these questions. I want one week to come back. Now, if it's a brain cancer and you need to be immediately operated, it's a case-to-case basis. But today, the normal protocol is because I get a call immediately when the diagnosis has happened from a patient that my surgery is in 24 hours. I'm like, hang on, you don't need a surgery in 24. Ask your doctor right now, do I have to do it? And his answer would be, it's better if you do it. You know, what's done doesn't mean it has to be, you know, done that way because you want to prepare the patient for surgery. You want to prepare the patient emotionally. Imagine the stress going through that person. We all know stress has a direct impact on cancer and disease. So, you know, it's these things that have to change. Vishal, you've seen pictures of people advertising on billboards, brain surgeries at 50%. I've gotten patients come from top hospitals in Bombay where the doctors have negotiated packages on radiation. Now, if I'm a doctor and I'm going to put you through radiation and chemo, I'm going to stand by that. You go through radiation, you go through chemo. But the moment the patient starts wavering, they say, okay, fine, maybe you don't do chemo, but you do a little bit of, it's negotiation. How do you negotiate on a protocol? You know, so these are the things which have to change. So I tell patients or people, ask as many questions from your doctor. And if it doesn't make sense to you, believe me, you're safer not doing it. Find another doctor. And I think it's a right of every human being to do something that makes sense to them. Because doctors have to. They take an oath to explain to you what they're doing, including the side effects, which almost no doctors do today. So ask your doctor, what are the side effects of this? So if it's a 74-year-old patient tomorrow who's diagnosed with prostate cancer and is given chemo, the doctor doesn't tell him that, hey, listen, you know, you're going to have a problem of a bladder that doesn't function, which means you're going to be wearing adult diapers for the rest of your life post my radiation. The patient has the right to know about that because believe me, most patients will say, hey, I'm 74. Let me just live my life this way. I don't want to be wearing adult diapers. You give a 40-year-old man radiation without telling him that, hey, you're not going to have an erection post this. It's going to damage your sperm count and your ability and your libido. I mean, a patient is going to start thinking twice about, hey, what are my options? Let me just step back and look at all of these things. But no one knows the side effects. I think it's possible because everybody wants a quick fix and they're like, oh, you know, I've been diagnosed and doctor can do this operation and it's a quick fix. So I think it is it is this whole madness of people to find shortcut solutions. The Vishal Gondal Show will be right back after this break. Tired of the shrill madness of primetime television? Can't make sense of your morning newspaper anymore? Then take a break to delve into some real conversations about policy, politics and economics. Join me, Pavan Srinath. And me, Hamsani Hariharan. As we analyze news and views from India and the world 
and talk to experts on a wide range of issues on the Pragati podcast. Episodes out every fortnight. You can find us on the IBM podcast app or wherever else you get your podcasts from. So what is the best way to prevent cancer? Uh, the focus has to be on immunity because that's the only way your body can prevent you know mutations from happening and it expressing into a cancer. So when I say immunity again what builds good immunity how can you build good immunity without having to spend money you know so again I always say it's balanced nutrition and note that I'm using the word balanced because there are all these fad diets out there and and believe me I I just got a patient with breast cancer and we were trying to get to the root cause and we have almost narrowed it down on her being on a ketogenic diet for 3 years non-stop failing kidney function the cancer primary tumor is in the kidney itself you know so all these fad diets balanced nutrition i mean if the food that you ate while you were growing up didn't make you sick you were not fat it kept you healthy you should be eating in those lines of course add on to so many new foods that are available so balanced nutrition is one adequate exercise because again there are so many people punishing their body with exercise overtraining overtraining with low d3 levels with low testosterone levels and then we see prostate cancers coming up testicular cancers coming up or you know a hurt back which is not treated and suddenly you have a cancer tumor in the spine so uh, these are not the causes but i'm saying holistically how you join it together sleep vishal sleep is, is that's the secret ingredient to good health no matter what anyone says because you may feel people may feel that hey i'm good with 4 hours you may be good for with 4 hours but your body it still needs an x amount of hours for hormonal imbalance uh, balancing detoxification there's a hormone called melatonin which is your sleep hormone it is also called today in the medical world an anti-cancer hormone because while you're sleeping it can go and you know identify these rogue cells kill them or create cell apoptosis all that happens while you sleep which makes it you know if you look at evolution you look at nature you know everyone had a cycle of being awake and going to sleep and today we've challenged that cycle with technology and everything else so sleep is the main ingredient when it comes to <clears throat> and if health. somebody needs help what mm-hmm. is the best way to connect with you and get you know the the whole idea of how to fix their life uh i'm hoping today that people uh, look up for me on facebook because they can also have access to a lot of videos which will answer most of their basic questions without them even having to spend money or consult or do anything like that and right now you'll be surprised facebook sent me this report and uh, of the number of people that have Uh, I think they calculated the number of people who replied to me over the last six months, saying that, "Hey, you've changed my life. My levels have come down. My immunity's gone up just by watching a video." And they've actually shown that if these X amount of people had consulted me and paid my minimum fee, they've tried to show how much of money has actually been saved by investing in prevention, basically. So I encourage people first go understand. If you're acidic, you don't need to consult with me. There's no magic in me. You need to understand what's happening in your body. Watch my video. If you still need help, reach out to me. That's the kind of network I want to create because like I said there's there are so many people out there who need help and I want to prioritize my time in a way that the people who really truly truly need it will get that time. For someone else who needs motivation to get up and walk, you know, I think that should come from them or that's what we're trying to, you know, uh, accomplish through Goki, which is mainly motivation. You know, reach out to those millions of people and say, "Hey, listen, I was in Bangalore last week, Vishal, uh and Calcutta two weeks ago and 95% of the patients that paid money to meet me they never had to do that 
most of them had low water intake. And because of that, they had constipation. Because of that, they had migraines. And because they had migraines... So, so, so what you are basically saying is, if you are <clears throat> just wanting to live healthier, you can get on to something like Goki, which anyways... Absolutely. Goki is your you. platform. Goki is your platform And, and then, of course, if prevent. you have cancer and if you have other complications, then they can possibly reach out to you for a personal consult. I mean, yeah, otherwise, they Goki that. can... Absolutely. You'd be surprised. We're handling cancer cases on Goki right now anyway. You'd be surprised because those cases that have come through me, all they need to do is change their lifestyle. So we have our own coaches managing. I think we have about eight or nine cancer cases right now that we're handling. So it is possible with lifestyle. I see Goki as a platform to even look at critical cases in the future, because as long as we support them with you know, what they need to do. We have Goki to make sure that they're doing it, motivating them, giving them hope. I think hope is such an important word when it comes to people's health. I also remember about one other thing you're very passionate about and that's kids. And I know your own daughter, Tiana, is very much into healthy lifestyle, even though she's, what, five? She's three. Three, actually. Yeah, sorry, I'm saying (laughs) five. She's three, but she's already doing push-ups so what is your so first of all how is tiana taking up to all this good lifestyle tip she's getting from her dad and what is your uh, whole vision on how because you know kids are becoming obese you know childhood obesity is increasing kids are eating all the junk food so if you are a parent what is your advice to them so the advice is simple i don't really tell tiana what to do i just do it and she sees and she follows believe me and uh Till the age of three, she never tasted sugar or any of that because I always believe it's not that I want to be this healthy nutritionist alternative medicine father that says no to sugar because I believe that as adults, we are addicted to sugar and we can't get over it. Now, a child who's three doesn't even have the motor and sensory skills developed to make a decision. So they're blindly doing it. And today, when a kid cries out for something that's sweet, you know, it's through addiction. It's not a tantrum. It's not bad behavior of the kid. That sugar is controlling them and giving them that craving where they cry and they roll on the ground and they demand for that piece of cake and stuff. So I figure that with kids, you know, until they're in an age of understanding, like now Tiana, I can explain to her why sugar could be bad for you and why it's bad for you. So she knows she may still ask for a chocolate, which we like to make at home. Or I think she tasted her first real ice cream in Australia last year with her cousins and stuff. And she did that and she never asked for it again. But now with school happening, she wants to explore and I'm okay for her to explore. But she has to understand and you should never use food as a reward. So and, she's, and, and what is your, your suggestion to other parents? And I think kids- my suggestion to other parents is see, I mean, uh, Again, it's a quick fix. The easiest way to stop a child from crying or throwing a tantrum is to give them junk food. They're going to silence, you know, or giving them a gadget or a phone or an iPad. I think in my whole relationship with parents, because I have loads and loads of kids, you you know, who come to me, their parents bring them. The two missing ingredients, believe me, I never thought I would ever be saying this, is love and attention. That's all a kid needs. You can put them in a party where all the kids are playing and they'll be the happiest. They don't care about their presence. They don't care about the food table until that mother says, okay, come get your cake. And then all the kids are diverted from playing. So you see, if it was the food, the kids would be around the food table. So I really think parents need to spend more time with their children because at that age, that's what a child looks for. And we're supplementing it with restaurant food and, you know, your treat will be a pizza. I think food should never be used as a reward because if it's used as a reward, a child sees it that way. I think if your child is done well in school and got good grades, 
buy them a book, take them to a toy shop, get them an educational game, take them for a holiday, whatever it is. But don't give them food because then a child sees food as a reward. They don't see food as medicine or as energy or just as a way of sustaining themselves. You know, so I think that's what parents should really look at, you know. I also know that Natasha, your wife, has a big role to play in whatever you are doing. Mm-hmm. So, so how has she impacted what you're doing today? So I think her main, I mean, her impact may be very direct and indirect. So a lot of learning and what I am today is because of the mistakes I made with her. <laughs> so, you know, like you can never tell, you can never tell a woman whether she's your wife or whatever that, hey, listen, lose weight, don't do this, remove the sugar from the house. You know, you can't lay down those rules, even though your intention may be right, because I don't want my wife or my girlfriend or whoever it is to get sick. I'm doing it with that intention, but you have to realize that the other person may not take it that way. Everyone has a way of doing it. So I think my biggest thing was like, you know, I I would be very strict about sugar and this and exercise and whatever, until I learned that once you've told everyone, you surrender, you let them find their own path. And that's what I learned with everyone, because today I think you'll sense my aggression when it comes to a patient or anyone taking an antibiotic without a probiotic. I mean, that's detrimental to your health, you know. So I could get angry about this two years ago, but now I'm like, hey, listen, this is what you got to do. This is why you got to do it. Now I all I can do is surrender it. Now do it. So I think she's played a role. She's, of course, been very supportive because I think the, the day Tiana was born is when my life really started getting more and more busy with travel. I was on a flight like three or four times in a month to the US or London. So I think she's been that whole support behind me to allow me to continue doing what I have to do. And I, I won't, I won't uh, deny it. We've had our ups and downs in terms of, you know, I am with beautiful women all the time. I am with models. I'm with actresses. <laughs> it's a genuine problem. And well, the way, that's a good problem to have. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the way I would retaliate is like, oh, you have to trust me or you have to. And then I realized that, uh, no, that's the position I'm in. So I think the smart part was I involved her in my business. And I said, you handle all of my appointments, all of my hotels. So now she knows where I am doing whatever. And she actually realizes that this is my life. I get a call at midnight. I get a call at four in the morning that I have to be here with this patient. Now she's kind of understood it. But because before she would tell me, we would communicate. So my insecurity is you're saying you're going to see a patient, but you could be going and seeing anyone else. Yeah, my line will allow me a lot of opportunity <laughs> like that, to be honest. You well, know, with well you, Natasha, but... this is a hack which Luke <laughs> has found. Rather than making you part of the problem, he's made you part of the solution. The solution, exactly. So today, like, you know, I'm the one telling her, hey, like, free up my schedule, man. Don't give me so many patients to meet in a day she's saying sorry they need you and I'm like it was the it was like a whole circle around the other day where they were like no but you have to give me time you got to give Tiana time and the family time and and today she's like hey listen go and you know meet patients till nine in the night and you know because she manages my schedule so it's nice to see that how sometimes you got to let just people be who they have to be but it's also because they are seeing the impact I think everybody is now seeing the impact you've been able to create right is that what is also being your big yeah like I said Vishal I mean there is no magic in what I do and I don't believe in I believe in effectiveness. So if someone's coming to me, I need to be effective with you. I may be the best. I don't believe in being called the best. I don't even believe in this whole thing of best doctors, which is an Indian mentality. People were flying to see me from Delhi and all. And the first 15 minutes that oh, I know this top doctor here. And I said, listen, I don't want to know what is the problem. Let's fix the solution. Okay, you may be the best but it doesn't mean you're effective. That's something I've learned over the last five to 10 years. So I'd rather focus on being effective and that automatically makes you the best. And really what's there about being the best? I mean, you know, yeah. we need so, so many so, effective people. So about today. being the best, and I know you talk a lot about performance enhancement 
by being the best by changing your mind i think mind is really one Absolutely. of the big things and when it comes to mind you've also spoken a lot about or uh, you know marijuana and all these alternative drugs which have been used mm. uh, have you been using any of that for your treatments or what is your view on this whole subject so see cannabis oil has its place in alternative medicine i would never say that hey drop chemo and do you know cannabis oil it's stupid to say that without knowing the patient's history uh we use it legally in the us so yes while i'm in the us it's legal it's been uh it's legalized so you can use it with prescription for patients we use it for depression we use it for cancer we use it for uh palliative care when it's a bone metastatic cancer and the patient is writhing in pain and all you have is morphine which is going to basically put your liver in failure in 3 to 4 days so we use it for all of these things in india it's not legal yet but there are loads and loads of people using it from politicians to i'm not going to name them because they've seen the magic in what it does you know so i support these things but yeah of course follow the laws of the country so where it's legal we prescribe it where it's not legal we may educate people so people understand it and they fly to the US or countries where it's legal and getting those kind of treatments there are so many brilliant things vishal that uh, that exist in the world in fact i i believe we're going to be in japan next week yep. together yep. so my assignment is purely this one doctor who's been working on mushroom extracts okay small time doctor but after the hiroshima bombing i mean you know the amount of radiation and the people who are still suffering from the effects of that and cancer japan found a way to manage those cases without chemo without radiation by making changes in their lifestyles having more iodine in their foods and there are these doctors who try to treat it because they had no access to hospitals like the US at that point so for years they've developed you know extracts from mushrooms and everyone knows the role of mushroom extracts in cancer or be it any immunity disease but apparently they've perfected this and I've been trying to find this doctor with connections for the last 3 to 4 years because they're all underground. They don't want to be known because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when someone knows that hey, this person's been curing cancer with whatever. There is that actual fear. So I found he got that connection through Mexico and Cuba and I'm going to be in Japan next week interacting with his doctor, with his patients, studying what it is that he's done. And if I can get him to, you know, share that, you know, mushroom extract, I want to see how doctors can use alternative and your chemo to so, make so, so patients healthy. So, so let's ask you an, a, a, a very different question. Now that you have become so popular and so busy, how are you managing your own lifestyle? Isn't that stressing you? I mean, you're waking up at four in the night. You are taking flights everywhere. You are shuttling from here and there. How do you balance yourself, and what are you doing to? So Vishal for me I mean I have made changes over the last 3 years I mean because my sleep is the most important thing if I have less than 7 to 8 hours I can't I can't be effective like I said it's not about being the best it's about being effective my mind can't work when I'm sitting with cancer patients or whoever it is so I think there are ways when you really want to one is my work is my passion so I don't need a sunday I don't need a holiday I mean I mean on my honeymoon I remember like if Natasha just said hey I'm I'm going into change like I would take on my laptop and I would be making plans and healing patients and it's it's out of passion you know I don't need a sunday I don't know what it is to have a break day if someone says hey come chill with me for a day if it's not at a beach or I'm not in the water I don't know how to chill if it's not like talking to clients and doing something that's my life personal time with my family I believe more than quantity it's quality I realize with Tiana I made this whole schedule where every day I'll give her 2 hours and within that 2 hours like we're doing stuff where I realize if I give her like even 10 minutes but I'm fully there for her 
talking to her in her fantasy stories all of that she just suddenly runs off to do something else and and she's found her own way so i think you know i don't like this whole structure that life puts us in and makes us believe that it has to be there i believe in effectiveness and quality no, time what i mean know? is how do you manage your own so what is your routine like what do you do how what do you okay, so time? yeah so my routine is i try to wake up before the sun rises because that's the most quiet time in the day the phone's not ringing people are not awake okay i i start off 100% sure with my oil pulling my yoga my pranayama and meditation that's like my drug wherever i am if i don't do it i have a bad day for sure so the meditation may not be 1 hour it may be 10 minutes but i have to do that 10 minutes it kind of recenters me uh i open up my laptop post that that's 2 hours in my morning already i start sending out mails and everything you know to all the doctors who work with me my nutritionists and my team and stuff and then i'm set then i'm open to meet new people and kind of heal them traveling i'm very specific about my traveling i try to avoid the early morning flights because that means i have to wake up and break my thing so i become if you ask me i'm very choosy about the way that i travel like yeah i will travel first class if i have to because i want a bed and i want comfort so i can sleep and wake up when i reach you know the country that i'm going to so there are these few things which have to happen for me if i need to be the person i am when i land in new york i mean it's a jog in central park or whatever to balance jet lag uh, i don't think there's a day that goes in my life without me working out and my workouts 4 minutes to bara because you know time shouldn't be a constraint for me i could do 4 minutes i could do 15 minutes if i have an hour i'll work out for an hour but i think uh, the few things that i have to have in my day is definitely my meditation a little bit of yoga my workout and a good night's sleep with that i'm good to go i can function so i think when you align your life whichever country you're in you find a particular way of doing these things and that's my structure basically and and what do you what's your what what is the food you eat what's your favorite food oh i love all kinds of foods i mean if i'm in a new country i stick to local foods i always eat what is local i mean now i'm on the whole intermittent fasting thing because believe me yeah, as a nutritionist yeah. <laughs> believe me as a nutritionist this is the unlearning that we have to do and you asked me this question earlier but i didn't you know answer whatever it is that i've learned in anything be it school be it in nutrition I probably use 1% of it today. The rest of it is through experience with patients. Like today I am I told people eat breakfast it's the most important meal of the day but today I'm also telling people that you can intermittent fast because my mind is you know the benefits of intermittent fasting is getting people so many overall benefits and we're so attached to that breakfast idea that I'm st- I'm thinking out of the box where did it come from scientifically breakfast doesn't really have too so, much of so value so you do 16 hours or what's your, i do 16 hours yeah, yeah. i'm i'm also on the 16 yeah. sometimes i may do 14 16 sometimes 17 or 18 and then but, and then you directly have lunch yeah then i have my building phase where i eat you know everything that i need in moderation and stuff and that's worked for me i would travel i can work out i'm energetic you know i just got to focus on my building phase you know to eat more and probably eat the right kind of foods over there but you know that's an unlearning so now every nutritionist would be like oh but we have to eat breakfast i told the world eat breakfast too but i don't have any shame in going back and telling people that hey listen there's another way of thinking because we have to constantly unlearn to evolve you know so that's how it is and and uh, what is your view i mean you know you certainly eat sweets whenever you want or mm-hmm. you have burgers <laughs> or whatever else so how do you manage all of the the so called junk food you eat So I believe I really believe and I've seen that in like tens of thousands of clients who have lost weight on my plans and gotten healthier that we have this bad relationship with food. We think a burger is going to make us fat. No, the burger is not going to make you fat. Your lifestyle is going to make you fat. Now what's a bad lifestyle if I have that burger every day? 
So the burger is not the fault. If I have a dessert every day, it's my lifestyle. It's not the dessert that's making you fat. So I eat everything. The guilt makes it even worse. Absolutely. Guilt and stress is the number one reason why women cannot lose the weight that they want to. You know, they keep eating out of guilt. Their stress levels go up. The body stores fat automatically, you know. So I love sweets. I I love all of these things, basically. So I think having everything in moderation is great. It's moderation on what suits you. You know, the days that I don't work out, if I don't work out, I'm going to eat less. The days that I'm going to work out really heavy, I'm going to eat more. It's as simple as that's the paradigm of weight loss. So if you had to go back and give yourself an advice, you Mm -hmm. know, when you were this boy in Goa doing Mm -hmm. DJing at the night, what would be that advice? Well, I think... See, I really don't have any advice at that point. I have no regrets because I believe that every part of that journey has contributed in some way or the other today. Is there anything you would do differently now? That no, you- not at all. I wouldn't do anything differently. There's one thing I would do differently right now. I think it is, you know, uh, overcoming certain fears. I think those are your biggest obstacles. And I know you I don't have you those hate fears. dancing, we know that. Yeah, dancing is a different thing. But, you know, I think that's something that I would advise myself that, Luke, listen, overcome that fear. Just, you know, so, do it so right now. So what are now. your fears? No, I think that fear, the fear sometimes, the main fear that I would possibly have is with patience. You know, when you're even looking at a fourth stage cancer patient and you know your gut is telling you, give that patient all the hope in the world, even though it sounds fake. You know, you got to do it because you know you're not God to decide that, hey, listen, the patient's time has come for you. So sometimes those are my most critical, you know, moments where I want to tell the patient that even though the liver's failing, that, hey, listen, you're going to live and give them that positivity and stuff. And sometimes it just makes you feel like, are you being fake? Because look, the liver's failing. And, you know, those are instances. And then I have this fear when I wake up, like, first fear is when I look at WhatsApp, which patient has died or which patient is, you know, has passed away in the night and stuff. But I'm overcoming it. So my advice is like, you know, through meditation, I've become very, you know, more stable. I'm not emotionally attached to death. If it happens, it happens. But what was my intention? Did I do everything that I could do behind the case? So if I keep saying, yes, I did it, I gave my 100%, I don't feel that way anymore. But if there's something where I couldn't give time or I never got a chance to speak to that patient because he was waitlisted, that immense guilt comes on to me. And that's why I moved into the whole prevention thing that I don't want to have so many patients on my waitlist. If my video can sort you out and you don't have to come to me, that's so much better than you coming. And that's the idea through Goki as well. Preventive health. You know, we don't want people to fall sick, you know, and you can. You have the power to prevent disease from happening. So which is your favorite gadget which you use? Something which you didn't spend more than 10,000 rupees buying? Um, more than 10,000. Less than 10,000. <laughs> I think the spinner, the fidget spinner. That's ah. my favorite. I got so addicted to it in the US this time. I was like, you know, I don't know. It just makes me think better while I'm spinning. And, you know, it could be below the table and I'm listening to a patient and stuff. I feel I'm very focused, but I have something in my hand. That's my favorite gadget uh, as of the now. The fidget spinner. Yeah. Wow, I can tell you that I have tons of it here. You know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, my kids are addicted to it. I'm addicted to the fidget spinner myself. And if you are listening, you need to buy a fidget spinner today. <laughs> uh, it is fun. And in fact, it's apparently helps in treating with ADHD and all these things too. I don't know whether that is really true true but it is definitely fun anything apart from the fidget spinner which comes to your mind uh no i'm not too much in gadgets i prefer you know spending that time on a beach or or any nature. book you would recommend of course your more books are coming up your two books are already published and more yeah. are coming on the way uh 
No, I think uh, I, there's no specific book that I would... Yeah, The Plant Paradox that your yeah. friend, our common friend, Dr. Gundry has yeah. basically written. That's a must read for everyone, The Plant Paradox. It will just make people think, like I said, the whole unlearning, it will initiate. That's a fantastic book. And that's the book I cu- currently recommend. I recommend for people who like uh, books on motivation and life, uh, Oprah Winfrey's uh, biography. That's a fantastic book that I just finished as well. And then I, I have a mixture of books. It's not just health and motivation. I like reading a lot of crap also like Harold Robbins and Jackie <laughs> Collins. And sometimes just to cut away and go into that unrealistic world of money and drugs and scandals. And so once in a way, I'll read those books as well. Yeah, basically. entertainment is always yeah. required. So how do you unwind? What is your best way? To, I know you don't take holidays. <laughs> so what is, how do you No, unwind? I think unwinding is a holiday by the beach. Something where I can, you know, do some adventure sports or just be in the water and swim. It could be a good book. It could be, uh, it could be listening to music as well. Actually, unwinding for me is also just speaking to someone about health. Believe me, all the seminars I do are unwinding until I finish the seminar and then you're crowded with people who are asking you questions. That's when the winding up starts. But while I'm talking, I just feel so peaceful. I feel so peaceful trying to get people to understand the concept of how the body works because I know when they understand it, when they understand how immunity works or how fat loss works, then they have a power in their hands to, you know, change their health on their own without the requirement of a nutritionist or a coach or anything like that. So I think I think that's very unwinding for me as well. And what about uh, if you were given a choice to be the health minister of India? Mm-hmm. What would you change? Uh, number one, I think uh, it's every citizen's right to have access to healthy and clean food, water and air. Everything else is a joke. Like, you know, I could be building your immunity right now with fruits. But if your fruits are contaminated, you know, it's a losing battle. You know, you could be on organic food right now, drinking Kangen water, which is this overrated water. And you step out into Mumbai Air or Delhi and you breed carcinogens, you know. So I really feel as a health minister, the, the basics are give the people what they need to sustain life, which is clean and hygienic food, because we use food as medicine. I mean, the top doctors in the world have used food as medicine. But today, if you ask me, Luke, you know, can you use food as medicine? My answer is mostly no, because how can I use contaminated food as medicine? Food which itself is, is the poison. Is the poison, which is why we got into supplements, which are extracts, because there is a day where people are going to have their food out of a pill. It's going to be organically grown, put into an extract, put into a pill, and your possible breakfast, lunch, and dinner will be two or three or four or five pills, because that's how contaminated the world is is right now. So that's what I would change. Give the people their basics right now, infrastructure, and you know, you can sustain, you can be healthy only in a healthy environment, right? Yeah. You can't be healthy in an, in an unhealthy environment. And where do you see yourself 10, 15, 20 years later? Oh, 10, 15, 20 years later, I see myself having built such a platform where I can consult free with every possible cancer patient that comes my way. And I see myself, you know, uh, in a role where today, if I see 15 to 20 patients in a day, I'm saying that's not even five years down the line, I should be having two to three because people have not even reached or got that disease. So I see my journey over the next five to 10 years and Goki plays a massive, massive role because of its ability to reach the masses is in prevention. And it's possible, Vishal, it's possible because go to the rural villages of India where we consult all the time. People don't have money for treatments. We just tell them, change your life, do this, do this. A year later, we go back. People are healthy. People are fine. 
just by changing their lifestyle, just with a little awareness that, hey, your BD is actually better than a Marlboro light. Go back to smoking your hand-rolled BD and stuff like that, and you will not have, you know, lung cancers like a Marlboro and all this other crap can possibly give you. You know, so I, I don't really, I don't know. And the thing is, I don't really know because my life has been such a journey. I've never ever had a milestone to look forward to and achieve. I'm just following life's path right now with belief that it'll put me where I have to be. So I don't really have a goal. But my personal goal is today, I cannot treat cancer patients for free. There are just too many of them. But tomorrow, if I have this platform where I can consult or I have a team where I can consult with every cancer patient free of cost, that's what my vision is going to be. So, you know, so, you know as a learning you know, you were a kid in Goa who was DJing and today you are healing cancer across the world. What did you do differently for you to get here? Because there are so many other young people who are all struggling with what their career choices need to be and all of that. So what got you to where you are? I honestly really think it's the way my parents brought me up. And I'll tell you the specific point. They had just one notion that, you know, do whatever it is that makes you happy. Find your path. You know, they were never worried about, you know, when I did a stint at McDonald's as well for like three months. You know, <laughs> my dad was like the general manager of Caterpillar. And I'm like, I'm in McDonald's for three months as part of some internship. But he said, it may be part of your journey. Just follow it if it makes you happy. If it's not making you happy, quit. So I think all of us just found our path. And sometimes, you know, you can't plan life. You know, I mean, life has a plan for you. And if I keep being on one part rigidly, I believe there's a lot of other opportunity that I'm going to miss out on. So even tomorrow, if you ask me, I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm just going to, I never knew I would be on the cancer path, but it put me and it's been a brilliant path. So sometimes I think I'd rather trust life to make those decisions for me. Then, So you are relying on the universe. Know, I'm relying on life, basically. I'm relying on experience. I'm relying on so many different things. And I don't think about it because I believe the more you think about it, the more... You know, you sometimes know, I really feel and this is really what, you know, my experience is too, right? When you are really passionate about doing something, yeah. somehow yeah. you automatically get connected to people who are wanting to do this too, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, how we got connected, absolutely. right? I mean, yeah. I never knew I was going to make Goki and, you know, we're going to get together and do this. But that's what happened. It was yeah. this one flight which changed everything. And it is almost like this was designed to happen. I mean, what you are doing and what Goki is doing and what we all believe in, right? I mean, yeah. I think one of the things about what we do is authenticity, right? You yeah. have to practice what you preach. preach. Exactly. You know, and yeah. I think that's one of the core values. You know, when I tell people that do this, it's mm -hmm. because I follow it myself. We are not yeah. faking it. And I think that's exactly what you are. You are truly genuine. You are real. And that's your biggest strength. I think that's true. And I, I have to share this right now because it's happened over the last 48 hours. So I've always believed because I handle so many cancer patients. You know, I'm like, what if this ever happens to my family? What will I do? Because I have a lot of oncologists, believe me, who send their family members or aunts and uncles or even two of them, their wives who have got cancer. They've sent them to me for treatment. And when I say, hey, why aren't you doing your treatment? Not in a challenging way. They're like, no, first, let's do what we can you know, until it gets whatever. So I said, why don't you tell your patients the same thing? So they said, we have to follow the protocol that we've signed up for. And it's true. They're, they're not doing anything. They are not unethical. There are a lot of unethical doctors, nutritionists, healers all over the world. Let's face it. But most of the doctors are ethical. It's just that we need to, you know, move out of that box and collaborate for the patient's interest. So the point I'm coming back to you is, so my dad now has been diagnosed with an enlarged prostate, which is possibly cancer. He's 75. The doctors did an MRI and they said do a biopsy. 
Now, the decision I've made is obviously I'm not going to do a biopsy. That's why would you do a biopsy for a 74 year old man who has no symptoms of a cancer in the body? And we all know that a biopsy can possibly create a new cancer. What's a biopsy? You're pricking a cell which is already mutated. If you prick a healthy cell, what happens? The cell automatically multiplies and divides, which is a mutation to protect itself. And now the report is going to show me a cancer marker or a marker which is going to be cancer. And my question is, am I going to put my dad through chemo and radiation at this age? The answer is absolutely no. Am I scared? Absolutely no. Is my family scared? Absolutely no. Because I have something which I believe in and I'm going to put the same protocol on my dad and he's going to be fine. If he dies, he's going to die of old age. He is not going to die because of this disease. It's as simple as that. So I think what you're saying is right. Passion and believing. Many clients ask me, Luke, if this was your mother, would you do the same thing? And I'm saying I would do exactly the same thing I am telling you. So I think that whole passion and that whole belief in what you do is so important. You know, diabetology clinics coming up every day. And I saw an acquisition yesterday of some, I think you put it in the group, some diabetes company, some hundred million dollars. And I'm just sitting back and laughing and just thinking that, oh, it's great what they're doing, but they're still just treating the symptom. So we're still going to be a diabetically, you know, uh, spoiled nation for another 10 years. No one's looking at the root cause. So I think getting to the root cause and prevention and passion are the three main things that, you know. So follow, follow your heart, follow your path. I think that's really what it yeah, is. Yeah, with integrity. Yeah. I really, really feel you can. I mean, I can't tell you, Vishal, the offers that have come to me from pharmaceuticals to push a particular drug. And it's presented so well that you do immunotherapy. Great. Take this, it'll assist with immunotherapy and all of that stuff. And it is so easy to, you know move on to that side and take the uh, insane amount of money that is offered to you for these kind of deals and stuff like that. But it doesn't come from your gut. Tomorrow, if there's a drug that instinctively makes sense to me, I will take it if it means a better life for a patient. But today, it's just a product to be part of, you know, you know, pharmaceuticals are diversifying into nutraceuticals today. So it's easy to slip. And that's where my meditation comes because I am human at the end of the day. I have my needs. I have my wants. But that meditation is what keeps me you know, on that thing. It's so easy to slip, take that one deal and then wake up every night knowing that you have not been true to yourself and to your patients. And anything that disturbs my sleep, you know, sleep's the most important thing for me. So I can't live with that. So I think integrity, like we've always spoken about, which is also one of our principal values at Goki, I think that's that's what keeps, you know, success in place, basically. So uh, I must say, Luke, it has been an awesome time talking to you about all this i know you know we've we've never had a chance to actually talk at this length ourselves right i mean we've all been busy but i think uh you know we are just lucky to have you as part of uh, you know my friend circle my good friend and of course as part of goki and i think everybody in this world if you are out there what you need to do is what luke says give your body the chance to heal itself all the other thing is just crap. And uh, I think, Luke, as I said, we are going to get you back on the show again because I think <laughs> we are still not done. I think you're going to do more things. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks once again to be on the show. Thanks so much, Vishal. I think it's amazing what you're doing, trying to reach again the masses 
the masses by sharing information, by sharing knowledge, by sharing, you know, the truth about people's lives. I think that's what you need because you have Google to tell you everything else. Exactly. So I think it's fantastic. And I watched yesterday's show with Ranveer and Samara. I think it's fantastic. And people should watch all of these shows to find that motivation, that inspiration. I think everyone has to realize that, you know, you got to buy the concept and the logic. You may not do something with me. Do it with whoever you want, but you got to believe in a concept that's right for you. And I think that's no, what as I said, right? Do. It's about you being know? the force. And in this case, Absolutely. we are all about beneath the force. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you, Vishal. Thank you. Excuse me, bhaiya. Excuse me. Bole, madam. Menu me kya hai? Menu me seen and seen hai. Podcast hai, on course hai, Cyrus says hai, Made in India, Rediscovery Project, Empowering Series, Sex Vex hai, IVM Likes hai, Simplified hai, Keeping It Queer hai, Things and Destinations hai, My Neighbor Zuckerberg hai, Or The Fan Garage hai. Aapko kya chahiye hai? Uh, ek baar repeat kar denge kya? Repeat, repeat nahi karta hum. Aap jao, IVMPodcast.com pe or suno ye sab. Ya fir download karo unka app. Sab aapke ungliyo pe.